Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I am your co-host, Ken Hellenius, sitting in my virtual studio here in South Bend, Indiana, and sitting across from me in his home studios in Portland, Oregon, is the man who is smart enough on the seventh day of Christmas to tell his true love, why don't you go ahead and get me a gift card instead? And that man is, of course, Deacon Harold <laughs> Burke Sivers. Hello, Deacon. Happy Christmas to you. Yes, Merry Christmas to you too, Ken. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> you know, gift cards, I, I actually, I actually really like gift cards because you can go get whatever you want. That's true. You know, there's no like, oh, did I get the right thing? Is it the right size? Is it, he's going to like it? Is she going to like it? No, just get the gift card and go and I like it because I always go to bookstores anyway. So <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. But I just love being surrounded by books as I am. I mean, because as an author, right, I'm, I'm working. I just, you know, the submitted my sixth book and now I'm doing an outline for my seventh book. And when you're surrounded by books, it just creates an atmosphere where you want to write, right? And, I, and if I have research, I could just... I have 4,000 books I could just pull from, you know, and say, oh, here's a great article from, you know, and that doesn't include the periodicals I have. I have tons of Communio, Nova Evatera, you know, tons of scholarly theological journals that I bring on the plane with me and stuff like that if I, you know, want to fall asleep or something. But <laughs> no, not not really, not really, no. But And I try to keep my uh, Hebrew up. You know, I get my Hebrew flashcards now digitally on my phone. There's a wonderful app so I can keep practicing uh, the Hebrew. And yeah, so, and this time of year is great. You know, all the kids are home, you know, so it's uh, just great having everybody here. You know, it's the first time since the pandemic ended, actually, that we're all here wow. together. So cause yeah. we spent we spent over a year together at home. So, so it's nice to have everybody back again. And you know, I just love this time of year. Because today, the Feast of St. Stephen, one of one of my brother deacons. That's right. One of the know, seven. The, the Proto-Martyr. Proto yep. Yeah. I mean, a guy so awesome that there's even a gate named after him in Jerusalem still to this day, right? St. Yep. Stephen's Gate. That's right. So, that's, that's right. Fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's right. Wow. Well, happy feast day to you and all of your brother deacons, of course. Ah, thank you. Thank you very much. So how'd you spend uh, yesterday? Yeah, so with, uh, Jules. With, with Jules, yeah. So uh, this year we're home together. We're uh, in, in South Bend. Um, we had talked about maybe traveling to be with family, but uh, Julie had done some traveling earlier in the year. So, and I've got some a lot of travel coming up with uh, at the end of uh, January, of course, with the March for Life and, and uh, some things that go around that. So, so yeah, so we're uh, together and lounging about. We're going to be getting together with our pastor, have him over for dinner. Dinner and, uh, you know, because uh, it's lovely working in an academic uh, world like I work at the university. We have this this whole week off as a as a gift, uh, you know, as part of our kind of Christmas observance. So that's really nice uh, to relax. And, you know, the weather has been really cold of late and uh, we've had snow in South Bend. Uh, I mean, gosh, just last week uh, we it kind of snowed all weekend long, you know, and it didn't really stick, but it, it was lovely to look out and see, you know, snow. It, it's fun. I love that. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, it's been pleasant, just relaxing. 
uh, super low key. Although on Christmas Eve, we've begun this uh, tradition since we moved here to South Bend. We go out with a group of friends to um, one of those uh, Japanese restaurants where they prepare the meal in front of you. And uh, so we have a huge group, about 25 people all gathered around. And it's really, it's it's as much a dinner show as it is delicious dinner, too. So that's always a lot of fun. Um, uh, just a, a lovely way to, to be together with friends and, and they're with their big families. And we've all become kind of part of one big extended family because of that. So love that Christmas tradition. Oh, that's nice. I like that a lot. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, it's fun. Awesome. So. Okay. And it's good. What's other fun? You don't think of Japanese food as Christmas, right? But, but it, that's wonderful. Nice. See, the, the just coming together—that's the key. Yep. yep. You know, the food, the food is like second place. But it's uh, yeah. but just being together in a in an atmosphere, fun and and uh, yeah, it's just that's awesome. You know, I was just talking to a, some some friends of mine in Australia. Of course, it's the middle of summer there. Right. Right. You know, so everybody's doing the Barbies, right? <laughs> the strip on the Barbie and yep, all that stuff yep. for Christmas. And uh, so there, it's just the opposite. We're, we're thinking about snow and cold. And they're thinking about going to the beach. That's right. <laughs> for Christmas. Hey, honestly, though, <laughs> one of my favorite Christmas songs is Melikalikimaka. So, you know, it's a it's a happy, you know, Hawaiian holiday song. So I, I love it. Yeah, absolutely. I've gotten to the point, though, where now Japanese food for me, I do associate it with Christmas Eve because uh, we've done this, uh, done this enough years. And go. so, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. So. Happy Christmas Excellent. to uh, and Merry Christmas to everyone uh, in the uh, in the Living Stones listener land, uh, because this is, of course, you know, as I've as I was telling some folks uh, just a few weeks ago on Mater Day Radio, our home station. Uh, you know, it's all about giving praise and glory to indeed a little baby. But the importance of that little baby is the fact that he is the redeemer of the world. He is the one who comes to save us. That's the meaning of the incarnation. That's the meaning of really why we have this whole season. It's not the biggest season of the year for us as Catholics. It's not the most important of feasts. It's, you might say, the second most important because it, is, it means next to nothing without the death and resurrection of Christ. The incarnation is pointed to the Easter Triduum, to, you know, the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord, which includes his giving of himself to us in the flesh in the Eucharist. And so this flesh that we see here in the little baby, the, you know, in swaddling clothes, is the same flesh that we receive when we go to Mass. That's the glorious thing. When we receive the Eucharist, we are partaking of the babe who was born in Bethlehem. And that's kind of something to keep in mind. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. I, I love the fact that God loves us enough. The God creates everything that ever exists, everything that will ever exist, loves us enough to condescend, right? The catechism calls it the divine condescension, where he comes down to our level in order to save us because he loves us, you know? Yeah. And that's, um, that's the ultimate gift, the, the complete gift of yourself to another person. Right. And I've said this before is when, and I found this to be so true in marriage and, and, and many other aspects of life is when you give yourself away in love is when you truly find yourself in God. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Which to me, I, th I think I came up with that in adoration one day, reflecting on first John four sixteen. right? God is love. And he who lives in love lives in God and God lives in him. You know, so that, mm -hmm. that beautiful, and, and the incarnation, I think is the fullness of John's beautiful thought there in his uh in his first letter that 
he who lives in love lives in God and God lives in him. So God lives, became flesh, right? That says something special about human nature. That says something about the human flesh. Now that he took it upon himself, you know, without losing anything of what he was before, he's become what he what he was not, you know? Right, um, right. I mean, that's just tremendous food for contemplation during this time of year. As we, again, the last week of... The, the year before we enter into a new year, of course, starting off the year with the, the solemnity of Mary, the Theotokos, right? The mother of God. Right. You know, it's just, a, again, an incarnational reality that a woman, a human woman could become the mother of God. Right. <laughs> you know, so this a whole mind-bending Christmas thing. time, this whole yep. week. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just a wonderful way to think about the human body. And, you know, this is why I like uh, the church so much. You know, we... It's not just the holiday, it's it's to help us focus on deeper realities. So when you think about the incarnation, I think about the violations and sins against the human body, right? Human trafficking, pornography, contraception, abortion, those kinds of things. And, you know, um, it, it is a season of joy and all, which is great. But at the same time, I think it's really gives us food for thought about what God did and what that says about humanity and our and our bodies and yes we're sinful yes we need god's grace you know we need to respond to god's grace to be to fully become who we were created to be but the fact that he would extend that invitation and love and invite us to share life with him that's just and how our bodies play a role in all of that that's just huge that's huge yeah the the incarnation ennobles us and it ennobles humankind and again gives meaning to the flesh, gives meaning to the acts that we do. It, it says that they matter, that we matter, and that matter matters, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that's glorious. Yeah, I think about St. Stephen, right, yielding his body rather than to deny Jesus. You know, yeah. I mean, he he got, was stoned to death, and, and Paul, of course, was holding the coats, standing there watching, approving what was going on. And we think about today when we get persecuted because we're not afraid to speak the truth in love, right? We're not afraid to talk about difficult issues, right? Now, a lot of people don't want to talk about transgenderism. They don't want to talk about same-sex attraction. They don't want to talk about abortion. They don't want to talk about quote-unquote difficult issues because they are hard to talk about. But we have to see those realities within, with the eyes of Christ, right? And with the eyes and, and, and the mind of the church when it comes to how do we approach humanity that's broken and fallen and sinful, which is all of us, every single one of us, you know, uh, just to different and varying degrees. But how do we then see ourselves in that light? You know, but we have to see it with the light that shines forth from that crib in Jerusalem. I mean, I'm sorry, in Bethlehem, you know, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that, that's where yes. the light comes in. And that's why it's so great for this time of year. You know, we're right near the uh, winter solstice, right? Where it's the shortest day of the year. There's, there's least amount of, where the greatest amount of darkness is that's when the light of God comes forth, comes shining through, comes bursting through into our temporal reality. And so that's the light that gives us vision in the darkness. You know, um, that's the light that we have to follow and, and not be afraid of the dark, right? <laughs> because we have, we have the light of Christ. So there's nothing to fear. And so that's what I want to encourage people. And, and I, I guess I took a couple of hits this year because I'm not afraid to speak the truth in love. And that's okay. You know, I, I'm a loyal son of the church. 
and I will I will never speak against our one holy Catholic and apostolic faith, but I'm also not afraid to talk about difficult issues. And I'll be posting some of those actually on, uh, pretty soon on my uh, YouTube channel, a Q&A session I did in Australia. After a talk I gave, I, you know, there were some questions that came up. And so uh, I did my best to answer them on the spot without notes and without, you know, without a lot of time to really think. Through. Without a net in but a way. I think I did a, yeah, I think I did a decent job, though. So, I mean, so hopefully, you know, we can continue to encourage each other to, to live the truth of our faith and love. Uh, especially this time of year where love itself, you know, became flesh for us. Absolutely. Well, this is, of course, the time of year when also when people are thinking about resolutions, right? New Year's resolutions. And I was thinking about them recently because I had this realization that a New Year's resolution is in many ways like a Lenten resolution. You know, we we do the same things, right? As, as Christians will be, we enter into the Lenten season, we say, this year I'm going to give up chocolate or I'm going to wake up half an hour earlier every day in order to have time for prayer or something like that. And I came to the realization also that New Year's resolutions tend to be something that go by the wayside in just a few weeks. We tend to forget about them, right? Whereas a Lenten resolution has an external kind of thing that reminds us about it, that keeps it on our mind, because we tie it to the actual, the privileged season of Lent. And so when I say I'm going to wake up earlier every day throughout Lent, throughout the weekdays, I'm going to read a chapter of scripture each day, whatever it may be, we are reminded that the season is, that we're in that special season. And so we have this external sort of prod to keep us doing it. Versus a New Year's resolution doesn't have that. New Year's resolution is just, it's a promise I make to myself. I may write it down. I may, you know, I'm trying to establish a new habit or something like that. We don't have the external sort of reminder and the help in a real way of the church's Lenten season. So um, I don't know necessarily what that means about New Year's resolutions. I'm not saying you shouldn't make them, but I'm saying that uh, they're also, uh, they are kind of a little secular taste in a way of what we have in the spiritual life kind of built into our, our own spiritual observances as, as Catholics, as Christians. And so that's something that had been kind of on my brain a little bit of late. Uh, I wrote a little bit about it in my column, which is coming out uh, later this week uh, in today's Catholic newspaper in the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend, kind of how habits work and how uh, God uses habits to help us be virtuous, to help us develop virtue. And uh, so that was kind of my jumping off point for the column this week. And uh, it just seemed like the sort of thing that, that our listeners would also latch on to as well. So. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Is that online, by the way? Is that something that readers can... It is online, yeah. Many of us are not in the tab, but we can find it online. Maybe yeah. put a link to it I'll put in a, the show notes. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah gonna, exactly right. Yeah, I'll put a link to it in uh, on our Facebook page as well there at Living Stones Media on uh, Facebook, because uh, I guess this is my fourth column that I've written, and they're they're brief. I mean, it's, you know, it's 900 words or so, so it's the sort of thing that you can read in, in just a few minutes, and hopefully it it's something that uh, 
will be edifying to the listeners and uh, challenge and invite you to a deeper appreciation of the practices. And especially, of course, my, my uh, responsibility is to write about humor and joy in the life of faith. So a lot of things that you and I have talked about over the years here on Living Stones are, are making uh, glorious reappearances in my column because uh, you and I, uh, we always have a good time here on Living Stones, mm-hmm. even though, as you say, we are discussing important weighty things as well. There's nothing more weighty than our relationship with God. There's nothing more uh, important than our relationship with God. There's nothing more, there's nothing that makes us more blessed than the fact that we've been baptized into Christ Jesus. And so, of course, we're talking about serious things here on Living Stones. One of the things, of course, you know, that we talk about the incarnation, Deacon, is uh, that matter matters and what we do makes a difference. And you and I, we, over the past number of weeks, we've been talking about this document on the pilgrimage in the Great Jubilee. And pilgrimages are most often, they're physical movements towards a shrine, towards a, a goal space, whether that be towards, you know, uh, on, on pilgrimage to a place of prayer, on pilgrimage to the Holy Land, on pilgrimage to Rome, on pilgrimage to a shrine, whatever it may be. These are themselves moments of incarnation as well, because we are moving our very flesh, our very actions are signs of an internal reality. They're external signs of something that's taking place internally. And so it's kind of appropriate that we've been talking about pilgrimage in the Advent season and and now into the Christmas season as well. Yeah, and and the idea of pilgrimage is just is awesome. You know, I'm enjoying our conversation very much, talking about this movement, right? How this movement in relationship, this movement through life is a pilgrimage. You know, um, the people that we meet along the way, the experiences that we have, all are pointing us and directing us toward the end of our pilgrimage, which is life with God forever. Right. And one of the things I love about the document we've been exploring here. Um, when it talks about the pilgrimage of humanity, right? The pilgrimage of humankind. And uh, in paragraph 24, it starts talking about the pilgrimage, which started from Abraham and extended throughout the centuries as a sign of a vaster and universal movement of, of humankind. And so we, going back to the scriptures and the word of God, we see kind of the, the seedbed of pilgrimages, right? We see the journey of Abraham, right? And the the, not only his life journey, but the journey that God took him on and how God entered, intervened into his life to be the kind of the the, the father of uh, uh, not nations. just Christianity, but of Judaism and, and Islam. And, you know, everybody traces their roots back to, to Abraham, you know, so how he accepted God's challenge, um, uh, accepted God's invitation to journey with him. And his openness to say yes to what God wanted to do, you know, uh, having Isaac, you know, he's 99 years old, you know, and he's finally going to have a baby. So like, imagine that, you know, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I think we're done here. We should be great grandparents by now, but yet we're going to have a, you know, uh, and, and again, how important he was, Abraham, right? And Isaac and, and Jacob and, you know, the, that trio, you know, if you will. Um, so, so Abraham is kind of the seedbed of the start of our, of our pilgrimage, if you will. And that pilgrimage is carried forward in his lineage as well. You know, so the, the pilgrimage journey started with Abraham and we're still on that journey even to this day. Mm-hmm. And in this 
section, the, uh, the Holy Father, uh, well, not the Holy Father. This isn't a document by Pope John Paul II. This is a document by uh, one of the offices at the Vatican that is responsible for pilgrims. Um, but they draw upon, of course, the writings of Pope John Paul II, uh, who especially had focused his own pontificate on the Great Jubilee, which took place in the year 2000. And in many ways, also, this Great Jubilee that John Paul II pointed his pontificate towards was a reminder of, again, the biblical idea of Jubilee. Uh, just previous to where you've, you've started us here in uh, paragraph 23, they talk about, about how these biblical Jubilees were, they were, of course, um, they took place at a specific time, in a specific place. They involved, you know, the return of land that had been sold back to the original family. They involved the release of slaves, uh, you know, release from bondage, these sorts of things. All of those, of course, were physical activities, but also they were meant to be signs, again, of an interior reality, the restoration of right relationship with God. And that's what happens in our own pilgrimages as well, right? Our own pilgrimages, when we, uh, when uh, I know when I've been to the Holy Land, when I've been to Rome, we've had priests with us. We've had the opportunity to go to confession. We've had the opportunity to celebrate the sacred mysteries, to, to, to pray together, uh, to celebrate the Eucharist, to break bread around table with the people that I'm with, you know, usually not always people that I know so that I'm meeting new people, forming new relationships. But again, also celebrating the sacrament of reconciliation, truly restoring right relationship between myself and God and the people of God, the people against whom I often sin, the people against whom I hold grudges, the people that I, that I'm uncharitable towards, whatever it may be. Restoration of right relationship is the true meaning of Jubilee, and that is also the meaning of our pilgrim journey, is restoring the right relationship, because we, in the beginning, humankind was with the Father. We walked with God in the garden. We were, uh, you know, it was through sin that we were driven out of the garden, and all of the pilgrim life of humankind since has been a return to the Father. But that return was initiated by God himself in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That return, uh, the, the true way back to the Father, is made possible because of the restoration that was culminated in Christ and begun in the incarnation. So, again, it all comes back to the meaning of Christmas through the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord at Easter as well. Yeah, because Jesus is very clear. No, no one comes to the Father except through me. Right. You know, um, who who is the way, the truth, and the life. So all pilgrim roads and pilgrim journeys have to go through Jesus. You know, yeah, it's you know, it's, it's funny. I was having a conversation with someone after after church last week, and uh, you know, a person's struggling a little bit. You know, they're they're uh, they're from Africa, uh, one of the, the from Ghana. And uh, they've been learning more about their heritage, you know, and, and uh, their ancestral heritage. And it's struggling a little bit because they think, OK, well, these these uh, colonialists came. Right. And started using all the resources and, and then kind of planted the seed of Christianity in, in the minds of the people there, um, you know, missionaries. And so they said, OK, well, what was wrong with what we were doing before? 
You know, what, what was wrong with the way that our ancestors worshiped, you know? Um, and, and so are we, are we programmed now to believe all this stuff about Jesus? I mean, is this, you know, so he's struggling yeah, yeah. With, with that, you know? And, and so, th- and that in itself, struggle in itself is a pilgrimage, you know? So, yeah. so I, you know, I'm going to do my best to kind of help him through that, you know, wow. to, to realize that, you know, well, what, what difference does Jesus make? Does it matter? You know, were our ancestors wrong then to believe what they did and, and, and kind of worship before Christ, right? And and so, you know, so he, he kind of sees himself kind of losing himself because of the effects of, of Christianity. So he thinks. Right. So I'm going to do my best to try to help him work through that and think through that. Wow. And that's, of course, uh, we see that same question and that same uh, the some of the same issues even north of us in Canada as well with the indigenous peoples uh, and a lot yeah. of that we see it in the news you know a lot of this uh, conversation um, and that's something too that we as a church need to to think about because you know gosh as I've as, as I've heard said before one of the signs that God, that the church is indeed of divine origin is the fact that we humans have tried to screw it up for 2000 years and the gates of hell have not yet prevailed. Um, and you know, and who was it, uh, was it GK Chesterton who said, you know, you want to know what the problem with the church is? Say moi, it's me, you know, and that's so often again, restoration of right relationship. That's what pilgrimage and that's what our life of faith is about. But, uh, friends, we've actually come to the end of our time together. And, um, so we're going to have to pick up this conversation next week and hopefully next week we'll continue to chat about the meaning of pilgrimage. And especially in this, in this, the pilgrimage of humankind, um, even in our own day and age. Um, and so when we pick up the conversation, we will, uh, until we pick up the conversation, we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at Living Stones Media, and I'll put a link to uh, previous episodes of the show, but also to uh, the column that I write. And we look forward to seeing some of the videos that you continue to release, Deacon, as well, uh, from your own uh, pilgrimage work and from your own um, work as an evangelizer. Until we gather next week, Deacon, might we have a blessing. May Almighty God bless you and keep you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. I don't know that what I just said made any sense. So, Aaron, I'm going to have you cut all of that portion out. And uh, so I'll jump back to that. Uh, um, I, I've i entirely lost my train of thought, Deacon. I apologize. I'm your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and joining me, from the studios in South Bend, Indiana, is the man whose childhood dream was the inspiration for Barry Manilow's Weekend in New England. <laughs> the one and only Ken Hellenius. <laughs> Ken. <laughs> wow. Uh, uh, I got nothing. Oh, my gosh. I got you, man. You got me. You literally got me. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.